0: Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Armchair Detectives Wanted. This is our special interest week. There are two parole board cases this week for you to examine. The first case is body buried under a car bonnet, and the second case is killed for a drug debt. The names and dates have been changed, but the circumstances are true. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Before we start, I'll just issue a warning. This podcast may include content that some could find upsetting. It may also contain offensive language. As with all these cases, they are real-life events. So please be aware that the crimes have had an impact on the family and friends of the victim. You are now a parole board member. It is your job to review and evaluate the evidence. You will then need to decide if the prisoner should be granted parole. If you deem they are suitable to be released into the community, what, if any conditions, will you impose on them? If you decide they are still a danger to the public, then you should refuse parole.
1: This application for parole relates to Davison, a 65-year-old male. He was sentenced to life imprisonment for murder in 1990. The details of his index offence are as follows. On April 5th, 1992, a 14 year old schoolgirl named Natalie failed to return home. She was reported missing to the police and a search was organised immediately. During the search for Natalie, a number of witnesses approached the police. Some of them came forward to say they had seen the victim with Davison on the day she had disappeared. It appeared Davison and Natalie were seen walking towards a local river that day and this would be the final sighting of her. For four days, the local community, along with the police, continued to search for Natalie. Davison was in fact one of the local residents who assisted in the search. However, the police did not need to search for long. On the 9th of April 1992, four days after Natalie went missing, Davison contacted the police and confessed to murdering her. He then went with the police and took them to the location of her body. She was located close to the river where the witnesses had seen them together just a few days earlier. Her body had been buried under soil and rubbish. An old car bonnet had been placed on top of her along with a dead cat. Only her foot covered with a white sock protruded from the ground. At the time of the murder, Davison was living with Natalie's boyfriend. He was unemployed and had an addiction to travel sickness pills. A post-mortem examination revealed Natalie had sustained a 24cm cut to her throat from one ear to the opposite side of her throat. She had also been sexually assaulted by the perpetrator. Her bra was ripped at the front and her pants were missing. Her jeans were cut at the front and were down below her hips when her body was found. Tests revealed that Natalie had had sexual intercourse within the last 24 hours of her life. Further examination also revealed her blood contained cyclozine, a substance used in the manufacturing of travel sickness medication, alongside a small amount of alcohol, which was also found in her blood at the time of her death. This was important evidence to consider, as at the time the murder took place, Davison had an addiction to travel sickness pills. When questioned by the police, Davison admitted his involvement in Natalie's murder. He said that at the time, he was unemployed and living with Natalie's boyfriend. He continued by saying, on the day the incident occurred, he and Natalie were spending time together and got drunk after having a few beers. During this time, an argument took place, which resulted in Davison cutting her throat. Despite his initial confession to the police, at his trial he pleaded not guilty. He denied the offence, however the jury found him guilty of murder and sexual assault and he was sentenced to life imprisonment. Davison was 30 years old when he committed the murder. He is now 65 and is reapplying for parole.
0: To give context to Davison's past, prior to the murder of Natalie he had been convicted of numerous offences including a serious rape in 1984. He was released on parole in 2005 after serving 15 years. However, due to an issue with alcohol, he was returned to custody as this breached his license. This was a key factor given that alcohol played a key role in him committing his index offence, the murder of Natalie. In 2011, he was granted parole for a second time However, he was again recalled to prison due to issues with alcohol. Davis applied for parole in 2016 and 2019, but was denied on both occasions. He was still deemed as a medium to high risk of committing sexual or violent offences. Since his last appearance before the parole board in 2019, Davison had completed rehabilitation with the aim of one day reintegrating him into society. Whilst in prison, Davison was completing a timber processing apprenticeship and had also completed all the courses required to provide education around his index offence. This included understanding potential triggers and warning signs. Due to his engagement in rehabilitation, he progressed to living in a significantly less restrictive self-care unit. Although this meant he was unable to continue with the timber apprenticeship, Davison has instead been working on a farm milking cows. Alongside this, he has also benefited from guided release days. These are designed to assist in his reintegration into society. This has supported his ability to live a normal life. For example, completing his own shopping. It is important to know that prison staff and those working closely with Davison have deemed his progress excellent.
1: Here is what we know. The index offence is the murder of a 14-year-old child. The child was sexually assaulted and had her throat cut from ear to ear. The victim was buried under soil, rubbish, a car bonnet and a dead cat. The offender denied the offence in court whilst on trial. He has a list of previous convictions, one of which was a serious rape. He had been granted parole in 2005 and 2011 but on both occasions was recalled to prison due to issues with alcohol which triggered his index offence. He appeared before the parole board in 2016 and 2019 but was denied parole due to the fact he was still considered a medium to high risk. The offender initially admitted to the offence at the police station and directed officers to the location of her body. He has completed all his rehabilitation and reintegration courses. He has been working in a timber yard with organised release. He has worked on a farm with directed release too. He has completed education on how his index offence was triggered He has been shopping in the community with directed leave. His progress by prison staff has been deemed excellent. So now it's over to you. You are the head of the parole board. Do you believe he is still a risk to the public? If so, you must deny parole. If you deem he is not a risk, then you can grant parole. If parole is granted, what conditions would you apply and why?
0: Our second parole case, relates to a 53-year-old male, Mr. Smith. He has been convicted of two murders and rape. He was given a life sentence. After 18 years in prison, he is now requesting parole. The offences occurred while Mr. Smith was aged 19. At the time the case took place, he was in a sexual relationship with a female who was a sex worker. Her name was Miss Jones and she is also pivotal to the case. The circumstances of the index offence, which resulted in Mr. Smith being imprisoned, are as follows. A local 21-year-old male, Mr. Stevens, had left home to enjoy some time at the local beach. However, he failed to return home. His car was later found parked near to the beach and it was initially assumed by police he had drowned. Five days later, a female sex worker, Miss Jones, disappeared. She went missing in a similar location to that where Stevens had vanished. Her remains were discovered three years later on a nearby golf course. That was both a male and a female who had vanished in the same locality within five days of each other. Despite the disappearances being only five days apart and occurring in the same locality, for a long time the police did not connect them. In fact, it was 10 years before police had sufficient evidence to bring forward a court case in relation to both the murder of Miss Jones and the suspicious disappearance of Mr Stevens. Evidence provided to the court suggested that Miss Jones, the sex worker, who was in a relationship with the accused Smith, had been involved in a disagreement with Mr. Stevens. She believed Stevens had burgled her home and stolen her drugs along with other property. She then plotted with Smith to lure Stevens to the location at the beach and kill him. Mr. Stevens was shot dead and his body has never been recovered. There were a number of witnesses present to the shooting Five days later, after Mr Smith had murdered Mr Stevens, he raped and murdered Miss Jones. She was one of the witnesses to the murder of Stevens. Smith believed Jones may go to the police and tell them what she knew. Importantly, the police never recovered any forensic evidence directly linking Mr Smith to either of the crimes. But Smith was convicted on the evidence provided by witnesses who stated they were at the scene of the murders. Smith denied the offences at court, but was convicted by the jury. He was sentenced to life imprisonment.
1: Now it's time to consider the evidence relating to whether Mr Smith should be eligible for parole. He has now been in prison for 18 years. Mr Smith had completed the Violence Prevention Unit workshop. However, despite his engagement in this programme, It has been suggested to the parole board by staff in the prison that he has not made any significant progress in his rehabilitation. Whilst he initially acknowledged his offending, he now denies all elements of the two murders and the rape. He also tested positive for cannabis in August 2017, which suggests he is both accessing and using drugs while in prison. The Psychological Report notes that Mr Smith has a history of offending with 70 convictions from the age of 14. It states that he continues to deny violent and sexual offending and expresses a belief that the psychologists are not accurately reporting on him. The psychologist says that the index crimes were admitted while in prison solely to further his chances of release. The opinion is expressed that Mr Smith had displayed criminal versatility with escalation of risk up to his index offending. Mr Smith did not demonstrate motivation to repeat the training unless he got written assurances that it would further his release or create more opportunities for reintegration into the community. This cast doubt on Mr Smith's willingness and ability to benefit from any treatment until he has taken full responsibility for his offending. Mr Smith submitted to the board that there was an impasse which means he could not make any progress because he was consistently denied applications for guided release, release to work and other reintegration activities. He said that it was inappropriate to require him to undertake special treatment unit rehabilitation programs when he could not be admitted to it because he denied his offending. He said that he could not move forward unless he received help from the parole board. Mr Smith's rehabilitation phase is yet to be completed although his pathway can be advanced while he is in self-care. Mr Smith's rehabilitation treatment remains incomplete and it is a matter for him and prison management to determine what activities are necessary for him to successfully complete before he moves into the reintegration phase.
0: So, what we know, Smith was convicted of two murders. He was also convicted of rape. The offences were extremely violent He pleaded not guilty at court, he continues to deny the offences. The evidence against him is witness evidence. The psychologists state that he previously admitted to the offences in order to be released from prison but has since rescinded those admissions. The psychologist also states Smith cannot move forward until he admits his participation in the offences. He had completed the Violent Prevention Unit workshop. However, he has not made any gains and continues to deny the offences. It's now your decision. If you deem he is no longer a threat to the public, then you can sanction parole. If you do grant parole, what conditions would you impose? If you deny parole, what is your reasoning? Please visit our Facebook page, Armchair Detectives Wanted where you will be able to discuss your theories and views with other members.
1: Here is week 7 of our scenario. Scenes of crime are called to the address and begin their investigation. What information would you consider providing Scenes of Crime officers before they commence their examination? A. Tell them about the call from the neighbour. B. Advise them of the disturbance in the living room. C advise that paramedics have attended d tell them about the male jumping over the rear garden wall or e tell them about the vehicle leaving the scene as you arrived thank you for listening to armchair detectives wanted you are one of the team remember don't just listen be involved we would really appreciate you recommending our podcast to others and we look forward to you joining us next week for episode eight, A Day at the Beach.